let's get into Acts chapter 13. Um, before we get too far into this message, as always, I just want to recap the main things that have happened that bring us to this point in the narrative of the book of Acts. Um, you know, in chapter one, Jesus commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the gospel started uh, going out to the Jews in Jerusalem. And as we've progressed through the book of Acts, the gospel has now made its way out to the Gentile world uh, outside of Jerusalem and Judea. As the gospel went out, uh, a church was started in Antioch of Syria, which is about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. Um, the church that started there, um, we read last week, was the first church to ever send out missionaries. Uh, if you recall, they sent out two men, Saul and Barnabas, from among them, and they commissioned them out for their missionary journeys. And that's where we left off in chapter uh, 13 last week. So today we're going to pick up in verse 4. We're going to work our way down through verse 12. Um, and then after we come to understand God's word, we'll bring some application in at the end. Because here's the thing, like I try to reiterate over and over again, we can't rightly apply God's word unless we rightly understand God's word. So we want to work our way through, understand God's word properly, then we'll bring some points of application in at the end. And I trust that if you will just simply open your heart to the Lord and what he has for you today, I believe he'll speak to you. So open your heart and let's see what the Lord does. Let's start in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So right away, what I want you to see is this. Verse 4 says that Saul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit. But if you remember last week, we looked at verse 3, and it says that they were sent out by the church. So what do we see right away? Here's what we see. The church and the Holy Spirit need to be working together. Right? It's a beautiful thing when the church is on the same page with the Holy Spirit. They were sending out those who God had called out. And as we said last week, that's the type of church we want to be. We want to be working in step with the Holy Spirit, sending out those who God has called out, like Natasha and others. Uh, and so that's what's going on with the church in Syrian Antioch as they are really doing the work of God by sending out Paul and Barnabas um, from Seleucia. Now, as always, it's helpful to uh, see this on a map and just kind of get a picture. So let me just bring up our little map. I know it's kind of hard to see today, but just roll with it. Um, Seleucia is near Antioch in Syria. It's about 16 miles away. It's a port city um, right on the eastern, northeastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and Paul and Saul and Barnabas hopped in a boat there, right? They left the church in Syria and Antioch, went to Seleucia, got on a boat there, and then they sailed uh, across a portion of the Mediterranean Sea and landed in Cyprus, right? Cyprus being that big island in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And once they were on Cyprus, they arrived in a town called Salamis, right? Now, some of you, if you're like me, when I was a kid, I would read this and I would say, man, they went to Salamis? right? Like, we're not talking cold cuts, right? We're not talking hoagies, right? Here we are. We're talking about a town uh, called Salamis. And so Salamis is in the northeastern portion of Cyprus. And I also want you to see there's a second arrow going across the island of Cyprus to the southwestern corner and, uh, you know, pinpointing an area named Paphos because Paphos is going to come into our story here as well. But for now, Saul and Barnabas, leave Seleucia, and they head to the island of Cyprus. Now, some of you might ask this question, why did they go to Cyprus? What's up with Cyprus? Why there? Well, the answer is more obvious than we tend to realize sometimes. If you remember, 
um, when we met Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas was a Cyprian man, which means he's from Cyprus, right? That's his hometown. And so now he's leaving and he's going back to uh, Cyprus to do what? To share the gospel of Jesus with the people he knows and loves. Any of us who have become saved and we have people we love and care about, we receive salvation and then we want the people we know and love to receive salvation. And that's what's going on with Barnabas. And he takes Saul and they go over to Cyprus. Now let's pick up in verse five. It says that when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. So Saul and Barnabas are there. They preach the word of God. They've got John Mark with them. We've been introduced to him in previous chapters, and we're going to learn more about him in the remainder of this chapter and and future texts in the book of Acts. And so he's assisting them as they preach. But when they go and preach, they go in and they preach to the Jews who were there. Right Again, remember, Barnabas was a Jew. He was uh, uh, from the tribe of Levi. And so now he's going to his people who were there in Cyprus. And he's telling these Jews, they go and they tell these Jews that their long-awaited Messiah has arrived. The prophecies have been fulfilled. They were fulfilled by a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And they proclaim this good news that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Son of God who came to earth. He was like humankind in every way except he was divine, therefore he did not sin. And although he was not sinful, he died like a sinner on a Roman cross. When he was dying, we have to remember the, Messiah, the Jews believed that their Messiah would bear his stripes, right? That they would, that they would uh, by, by his wounds, the Messiah's wounds, we would be healed. And so they would say, you know, the, the Messiah, Jesus, he, he bore our stripes. He was crucified on our behalf. God laid his punishment on this man, Jesus, the punishment for sin. But here's the rest of the good news. It's not just that Jesus died, but that God also raised him from the dead three days later. And God showed his power over sin and death in the grave. And the good news of the gospel is this, that if we believe in Jesus Christ, that he was the son of God who died for our sins and rose three days later, then we too can share in the new life of Jesus Christ. We can be forgiven by God. We can have a clean conscience before him. We can be spared from hell. We can be invited into God's family and we can eventually be invited into God's heaven to be with him forever and ever. And that is the good news for people who are sinners like you and me. And that's the good news that Barnabas and Saul preached to to Barnabas's family and friends all along the island of Cyprus. Now we go from there, we go on to verse six. And it says that when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, remember that island totally, or that uh, town totally across the island. It says they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas, they're traveling around, they're preaching. As they preach, they meet this magician. This magician's name, interestingly, is Bar-Jesus. Um, so that's a, that's a Hebrew name. In Hebrew, the word Bar means son of. And so uh, this, this man's name literally is son of Jesus, okay? Now, it says he's a magician. When you think of a magician here, like, don't think of like, you know, if you're from my era, don't think of like David Copperfield, Okay. Um, don't think of, you know, the more modern era of Penn and Teller and, and some of these other guys, social media guys who put out these magic tricks and you watch them for 30 minutes at a time. Not that I would know anything about that, but whatever. But that's not the type of magician that's being talked about here. The type of magician that's being talked about here is more of a, somebody 
who's operating in the supernatural realm, somebody who's more of like a witch doctor or a sorcerer involved in demonic things. And so that's the magician that we meet in Acts 13. And here's what's super interesting about that, at least to me. It says that this man, Bar-Jesus, we know that he's a Jew, but he's also a sorcerer. Which if you know anything about the Jewish people, they, they forbade sorcery. Witchcraft was not allowed among them. And yet here you have this man who has tried to blend his Jewish roots with some sort of witchcraft. He's, he's kind of got this um, blending of, of, of philosophies and religious practices. And so what did that lead to? That led to him becoming known among the people as a false prophet. And that's who this guy, Bar-Jesus, is. Now, we're going to learn more about him in the coming verses. So let's see what happens in verse 7. It says, he, he talking about Bar-Jesus, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So Bar-Jesus is with, um, you know, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, that we can tell by that name, that that's a, a Greek name, so he's... Uh, a Greek man, not a Jew. He's a, he's a proconsul, or that means a governor of a region. And so we see that this man, this, this proconsul, this governor, he is an intelligent man. And this intelligent man wants Saul and Barnabas to come and share with him the word of God, which right away we should be able to connect the dots here and say this. Um, the word of God is not just a message for the simple-minded, kind of simpletons of the world. The message of God is also for the intellectual. And What's interesting about this is that although the word of God is a message also for the intellectual, it is not actually an intellectual argument that ends up bringing this man to believe in Jesus Christ. We're going to see what happens with him in just a minute. Keep reading in verse 8. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So here we see that this guy Bar-Jesus is also called Elimus. Right? This is the same guy, not a different guy, same guy. And we see that, that he, this sorcerer, is trying to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. Now, I don't know if you remember the, the Lord of the Rings movie series, but in the Lord of the Rings movie series, there's this scene in movie number two, The Two Towers, where Gandalf comes to visit the king of Rohan named Theoden, and Theoden has this really sinister guy beside him with the perfect name. His name is, if anybody remembers, Grima Wormtongue, right? Grima Wormtongue, that's his, what a perfect name for this guy. And so he has put King Theoden kind of under an evil spell. And so when Gandalf, kind of the hero character of the story, shows up to deliver a powerful message to King Theoden, Wormtongue starts whispering in, you know, Theoden's ear and tries to prevent him from hearing Gandalf's message. And he eventually tries to get in the way and block Gandalf from coming to him. And when I think of Acts 13, this is what I think of. All right? You should too. So, Elimus, right? The sorcerer is trying to block the way from Paul and Barnabas's message getting to Sergius Paulus. So let's see how Saul, uh, Paul and Barnabas respond. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, which gives me just a moment to step aside and give a quick little side teaching. Um, we've been saying all through this study that, you know, if you grew up in church, you know that Saul of Tarsus also is the same man as Paul the Apostle. But I think there's a little bit of a misconception here that I think we need to just take a moment and address. 
if you're like me, you maybe grew up in a church that says, you know, when God saves you and changes you, he gives you a new name. And so, you know, the people say, you know, Abram was changed to Abraham and and Jacob was changed to Israel and Saul was changed to Paul. So when God saves you, he gives you a new name. Now that might be true for Abraham and for, you know, Jacob or Israel, but that's not true for Paul. Okay. And here's what we see with Paul. Paul was a Jew. Remember, he was raised a Jew. He was raised with Jewish heritage. So his Jewish name was Saul, okay? But as he started to go out and do ministry among the non-Jewish, you know, Greek world, you know, his Greek name was Paul. So, you know, that's the way it worked in that world. You kind of had a Hebrew name, and then when you were among the Greeks, you'd have a Greek name, and that's the way it worked. So, you know, God didn't change his name. That's my point. He was Saul. He was also called Paul. Simple as that. Now, back to verse 9. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, pay attention to that, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. How's that for a bunch of Holy Spirit filled words? You know what I mean? Like next time you pray for the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit, just know like you might have to give somebody some words like this, okay? We in our culture today, we can really struggle with like words, strong, tough, hard words like this. We can struggle to believe that words like that can ever be spirit-filled. But yet when we study the scripture and we think about the prophets or when we think about Jesus himself or we think about the apostle Paul, what we see is that here's the truth. Sometimes God will give us hard words for hardened people. Sometimes God gives us hard words for hardened people. Jesus called the Pharisees hard words. He called them things like vipers, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. Um, He called them uh, blind guides. The apostle Paul, when writing about the false prophets to the people of uh, Philippi in the book of Philippians, he calls these false teachers uh, dogs. And when he's writing the book of Galatians, he wishes a curse to come upon those who preach a false gospel. So here's the question. Are we supposed to assume that Jesus sinned or erred when he uh, called the, the Pharisees these types of things? Are we supposed to believe that the apostle Paul's, most of his words were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but not those ones, you know? Of course not. Here's what we have to understand. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will give us hard words for hardened people. We see it all through the Bible, including from our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think it's very interesting that part of the hard words that Paul shared with Elimus was this. He says, you are a son of the devil. I think that's because the Holy Spirit is leading Paul to make a contrast. He says, Elimus, you also go by the name of Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, but you're nothing like Jesus. You oppose all those who are righteous. You are full of deceit. You are full of villainy. You are nothing like Jesus. In fact, you're trying to turn people away from Jesus. Which is why Paul says to him what he does in verse 10. Paul says, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? What does it mean to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Well, to answer that question, we get a hint um, when we study the original language of the text. In verse 10, the phrase make crooked is the Greek word diastrepho. And in verse 8, actually, two verses up, that same Greek word diastrepho is 
um, translated as to turn away. So to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord is to cause other people to turn away from them. So you have to think of something kind of lying in a roadway. You're trying to drive somewhere, something comes up, it gets in the way, it blocks your path, so you have to take a different path. That's what Elimus was doing. He was becoming a roadblock on Paul and Barnabas's path to get the gospel to Sergius Paulus. Therefore, therefore Paul continues with his hard, hard words to Elimus, and he says this, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. I want you to see what's going on here. Elimus was trying to keep Sergius Paulus spiritually blind. So God made Elimus physically blind. Elimus was trying to prevent the proconsul from seeing the spiritual light. So God prevented Elimus from seeing the physical light. Elimus was made to seek the hands of people. Why? Because he had received the hand of God upon him. Which leads to a second truth that seems kind of contrary or counterculture to our typical thinking in this day and age. And here's this. Sometimes God's hand on you is a blessing. Other times God's hand on you is of discipline. Sometimes God's hand on you is a hand of blessing. Other times God's hand on you is a hand of discipline. Elimus was receiving God's hand of discipline. And I praise the Lord that in this case it says that he would receive this hand of discipline for a time. Isn't that what Paul says? You will be unable to see the sun for a time. These are hard words from the Apostle Paul, but if anybody could give hard words that have to do with blindness, the Apostle Paul could give them. And he could understand that God's mercy and grace is there all along the way because what happened when Paul himself was converted? God made Paul himself blind for a time. And now he's sharing, perhaps with Elimus, perhaps in the back of Paul's mind is maybe the Lord will remove Elimus' physical sight in order to bring him spiritual sight. Maybe Paul will say, maybe while Elimus is reaching out for the hand of others, maybe that will cause him to reach out for the hand of God. And I can imagine Paul saying, because that's exactly what God did for me. And so, we don't know for sure if that was in Paul's heart. The scripture doesn't tell us. But I'd like to think so. And Paul, being filled with the Spirit, calls blindness to fall upon this man. And now look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It's, to me, it's interesting that uh, this, it says that, this, word man, that the, this man was astonished, right? Because remember, he was an intellectual man. Um, yet here he stands, totally astonished. His mind is blown. He's flabbergasted. Not just because he had heard the message of the Lord, because, but also because of this, because he had also seen the power of the Lord. And when he had heard the message and seen the power, then what? He believed. He believed. Here's the amazing thing about this story with Elimus and Sergius Paulus and the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Here's the amazing thing. Catch this. Elimus tried to block the path of God's word getting to Sergius Paulus. But God used Elimus as part of the path to get the gospel to Sergius Paulus. Elimus tried to, to block the road, you know? God made him part of the road. 
Because Sergius Paulus saw the power of God and then he believed the message of God. What does that teach us? Listen, God can take what seems to be roadblocks and make them part of the road for getting the gospel to someone he wants to save. You with me on this? This is God's sovereign hand. Nothing can stop the purposes of God. Not Elimus, not this wicked sorcery he was doing. God took this man who wanted to be a roadblock and made him part of the path that astonished Sergius Paulus when he saw God's hand at work. Now, how does this all tie into us? Let's bring this down to some personal takeaways for us, some application points. And I want to share four application points. I don't expect all four of these to hit home for you where you are today, but maybe one of them will. So listen close and ask the Lord, what do you want from me here? First takeaway, know this. Realize this. If you oppose God, his hand of discipline may just strike you for a time. If you oppose God, his hand may mercifully, lovingly, graciously strike you for a time. That's what happened to Elimus. God's hand struck him blind, but it was mercy. Why do I say that it was mercy? Because this was a temporary striking. But all through the book of Acts, we have seen the permanent striking of God's hand on people. Do you remember this? Ananias and Sapphira, what did God's hand do? God's hand came and struck them, not temporarily, permanently when he struck them dead. What did we learn a couple of weeks ago with King Agrippa? God's hand struck him permanently when he allowed him to die. Here we have Elimus. God's hand mercifully struck him temporarily. God's hand may come upon you, and he may even disciplinarily strike you for a time in order to do what? Mercifully get your attention. So listen, I believe that God put everybody who's here today hearing this message, whether you're in person or online, I believe God has you hearing this message for a reason. And that includes hearing this portion of scripture, which has to do with weird, uncomfortable, painful things that happen to people like Elimus. And so this might sound weird for you to like be, why are you bringing this as an application point? Jason, we're at church. We're not opposing the gospel like uh, Elimus did. Well, first of all, I am, I've been in ministry long enough to know that not everybody who comes to church comes with a heart of love for the Lord. We have all sorts of weird motives for coming to church. So whether this is you now or you in the future, if you ever find yourself in a place where you're beginning to have a desire to get in the way of the gospel, try to talk others out of believing in Christ, you're planting seeds of doubt in other people's hearts, you're, you're arguing against the message of scripture, then you need to know this, the hand of the Lord may just strike you. And if that ever happens, I pray that it'll be a merciful, temporary striking that ultimately leads you to Jesus. Here's a second takeaway. Second takeaway. Christian, don't forget that both opposition and victory will come when you're doing God's work. Every believer needs this reminder. Both opposition and victory will come when you're doing God's work. I, I say this because sometimes we can get so caught up in thinking we're doing God's will and if, if God's in it, then things are just gonna be easy. We don't expect pushback or hardships to come and then all of a sudden some opposition comes, some pushback, some criticism, some, something gets in the way and we wonder, man, are we outside of God's will? I want to just learn a general principle from this text. Paul and Barnabas were clearly in God's will taking the gospel to Cyprus. The Holy Spirit had called them, the church had sent them, yet here they find themselves being opposed by this 
uh, sorcerer Elimus. He was becoming a roadblock. So Christian, expect roadblocks even when you're doing God's work. But also know this, the Lord, our Lord, likes to turn roadblocks into part of the road. He likes to reverse that. Our God is sovereign and he works all things out for good. He can turn things that are blocking the path into part of the path itself. So if you are following God's will and things are getting hard for you, do not give up and realize that God may just be on the verge of doing something amazing, something astonishing here that is going to blow your mind or blow the minds of people around you and perhaps bring other people to Jesus. So both opposition and victory will come when you are doing God's work. Here's the third application. We need to understand this. Satan will try to make the Lord's straight paths seem crooked to you. There there is a simple straight path to God. That is repentance of sin, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, yet the enemy comes and he tries to make that simple straight path crooked and complex and difficult and confusing. And the devil and his works and effects are always like worm tongue, you know, coming to people who God is calling, but worm tongue comes and he tries to get in your head and get in your ear and whisper things in your heart like there's no way God can ever love you. You can't be forgiven of that thing in your past. You're too far gone. You'll never be good enough like the rest of these little Christians in this church. Hey, how could you believe in a God who lets so many bad things happen in this world? Right? You see how worm tongue can do that? You see how the devil can get in here and try to actually blame God for the very things that Satan and sin are causing in the world? Listen, this is what goes on. The enemy comes and he'll tell you if life, you know, why does life have to be so hard? If God really loved you, he'd give you the desires of your heart. And, you know, as if, you know, life following Jesus never, as if Jesus never told us, hey, if you want to come to me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up a cross. Jesus told us it was going to be hard. So the work of the devil comes and he tries to whisper these lies into our minds and to our hearts and he's going to come for you and he's going to come for me and he's going to come for our children and he's going to come for the people that we love and he doesn't always show up like a big scary demon. Sometimes he shows up like somebody like Elimus, influential, impressive, seems to have some power and influence, may even be a counselor that you're listening to. And in those moments, they're going to try to make the straight paths of the Lord seem crooked and complex and confusing. And guys, you, we have to understand, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We are engaged in a spiritual war. And the spiritual war is one with spiritual weapons. And I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is able to come every, overcome every obstacle and win every victory. Satan will try to come and make the straight paths of the Lord seem crooked to you. Here's our last takeaway. Be astonished at what God will do to save one single person like you. Be astonished. I mean, in our story, what was God doing? He was working things out to bring salvation to one man, Sergius Paulus. First he sent Jesus to live, die, and rise again. Then he sent the disciples, right, out into the world to to share the gospel. Part of that witness, he ended up calling Saul and Barnabas to be his missionaries. They engaged in missionary work. They literally got on a boat and crossed a sea. They took the gospel from Antioch to Cyprus. They went all around the island of Cyprus, dealing with who knows what sort of hardships. God even disempowered an evil sorcerer to do what? To bring this one man, Sergius Paulus, to hear the message of Christ. And I want you to hear this from me. God has done the same thing for you. 
Do you think that what God did here with Sergius Paulus and this story recorded in Scripture, do you think that that was just for Sergius Paulus? It got written in Scripture and passed down from generation to generation so that we would read it, so that Paul and Barnabas would plant churches around Cyprus and all around the rest of the world, and those churches would plant churches. And over time, 2,000 years, those churches would send out missionaries. And as generations go by, one of those preachers preached the gospel to you, and you heard it, and you believed. Listen, God, he is going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to those that he wants to save. So I don't know why you came today. But God, you have to understand, has been orchestrating all the events of your life to bring you to the place where you can hear the preaching of the gospel, even today. Some of you may be hearing the message of Christ for the first time today. I don't know, but whatever circumstances got you to come here, whatever people invited you, whatever the past 45 years of my life have involved to bring me to this moment right now to preach the gospel, all of it has been on purpose by God. He wants you to see his power and he wants you to believe his message. So may you be astonished at the powerful hand of Almighty God. And may you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Heavenly Father, I want to pray now specifically for anybody in this room who may not yet have fully understood the gospel or perhaps has resisted believing the gospel, I pray today that you would soften their heart. I pray, Lord, that they would be astonished at your saving grace. And like Sergius Paulus, that they would believe your message. Lord, I pray also for those of us in this church who um, are trying to follow your will and yet it seems like roadblocks come in the way. Remind us, Lord Jesus, that you were not lying when you said that in this world we will have tribulation, that struggles will come. Lord, I pray that you will keep us faithful to you even when the enemy tries to get in the way of our path. And Lord, we remember this morning that you are a great and powerful God and that you can take what seem like roadblocks and show us that they're actually part of the path that you've been working all along. We praise you, God, that you are in control, working all things out, that nothing can stop your purposes. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.